0: Out so of the five companies, the two were fantastic. I mean, they were just creme de la creme. You could say, of course, I was lucky. The other two sort of were average, you know. And and the last one, if I had to, you know, put it in very rough words, they burned my ass, man. But in in reality, they really took everything that I could have avoided and put them into an execution path because the ego of mine, overtook the rationality of business.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy, which offers online courses that help investors, aspiring professionals, business leaders, and even beginners to improve the finances of their lives and of their businesses. Go to MyWorstInvestmentEver.com right now to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, Sanjeev Chitre. Sanjeev, are you ready to rock? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know you are because we've been rocking already by talking. Turn on the recorder. Let me introduce you to the audience. Sanjeev is the managing partner at U Group and a four-time successful entrepreneur. He has 30 years experience of starting, growing and executing liquidity of several major, small and medium-sized companies. He brings together an integrated team of industry and growth partners to creatively build value for the U Group clients. Sanjeev earned his master's in science and electrical engineering from the University of Wisconsin, Madison and a BS in electronics and telecommunications from the University of Pune, which I've been to beautiful little Pune outside (laughs) of Mumbai. So Sanjeev, take a moment and just fill any further tidbits about your life.
0: Well, thank you, Andrew, for the opportunity of, of sharing some of the fun things of life, which looking back, they're always fun mistakes as they were, as you say it. My life, it's quite simple, brought up in India, created, went to the schools, came to the US for education, but wanted to know what entrepreneurship really is all about. And by default of the nature where visas were not easily available, I worked for a small company. And that forced me into understanding more about working temperaments environments, tribulations of a small company. And that sort of, you know, reinforced my desire to become, or as you call something burning in the back to making, wanting to be an entrepreneur. And that's how I began the journey of of the entrepreneurship in the early nineties. And my first company, was sort of a learning experience as I was talking to you about what not to do is to deal with venture capital people. You know, it was I was not the founder, but I worked for a company that was founded and funded by venture capital. And so I'm sure in your in your interviews you have a lot of people telling you some of their worst experiences with venture capital. But those are not their experiences only, it is just the reality of the world of what venture capital is. And I I, I do speak about that quite significantly in the book. But the fact is that you have to control your destiny. And how do you do that was the second chapter of the book of of my journey which was starting a company that i took from a was less than a million dollars in revenues took it public when it was less than a million dollars grew it all the way to 450 million dollars straight up the curve in four years and exited it and the most of what i remember andrew is exactly what you are addressing in that and is you know, what are the things that you could avoid or what are the worst things that you did? And that's what I want to share with you. And thereafter, I thought, you know, we did quite a few companies and I thought it's much easier to share and to enable others to not learn, but to participate in a cross-communication about the process, how to do it better and not just complain about it. And and so that's that is why I'm so interested in having a conversation with you.
1: Great. Well, I'm happy to bring it to the listeners who are definitely looking forward to it. I, I recall one of my episodes, episodes 235 was with a man named Rand Fishkin. And Rand is uh, a guy who started the company Moss, which is a, a company that's basically SEO related company. And the title of that episode was, Don't Be Afraid to Stand Up Against the Growth at All Costs Venture Capital Model.
0: Yeah, he wrote a book on that, uh, the SE optimization engine. Yes, I read that book.
1: Yeah, and he's, yeah, that, it made me think a lot about that, because the the venture capital world, for those entrepreneurs that don't know anything about it, and then they think, okay, now it's my time to go out and raise money from the VC fund. It's like saying, I'm going to go out and pet these tigers, you know, without knowing anything about them. You know, they're not kittens, they're, they got their function and their job that they're doing. And when you understand that it's a lot less bloody. Yeah.
0: Well, they, they also, by the way, Andrew, they also have a science to that. It's not just, you know, some kind of ad hoc uh, probabilities, which yep. is what happens when you look from the outside. But you know, part of building the value with them is is a choice. And now in today's economy, Andrew, there are much better choices yep. because trillions of dollars of private wealth is seeking investments directly in the companies. And that is probably the biggest transformation that you are going to see in the next decade. Mm. Venture capitalists, will they do a small amount? Yes, but the ability to tap in directly into that wealth, which is a non-controlling equity or a non-controlling participation. Yep. is critical to the process where you are not a number and, and you are not a return on investment calculation of a portfolio company, you well, are a human building and, value.
1: And it's reflected also in the the number of stock market listed companies in the US just keeps going down. And part of that is the access to capital and the access to the VC capital and private equity. In Asia, particularly China and other countries in Asia, the number of listed companies is actually rising yeah. so pretty substantially. But I think we're going to get into more of that. So I think it's good now to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Yes. Okay. Thank you. So I don't consider, you know, for, for practical reasons of life, Anything as a worst investment, it is the best I did at that point in time. Each one of us does at that point in time the best we could, the best we know. It turns out to be a misaligned state of existence in something. So, if you call yourself the worst, then you know you are only evaluating the result, not the journey. And I focus on the journey. Mm-hmm. So, let me tell you some of the worst, uh, some of the not so right decisions that I made. And one of the things about the wrong decisions, Andrew, to you, to your readers, to your watchers, is very simple, which is you accept that it was not the right thing to do, and you say, I will never do it again. That allows the world around you to change because, and, and that is something that I will share with you in the story, that you have asked me to focus on. So in building the first public company, which I said to you, I had five people in the company, had less than a million dollars in revenues. And it was in one of the not so desired spaces of the venture capital space, which is semiconductor and semiconductor chip-making equipment. And yes, the business was 15, $20 billion. Then I'm talking about the mid nineties. And you can see how things haven't really, you know, radically changed. But you uh, you can feel the power here, of what what has really happened. So I took the company public as in public venture fund, and and it was five people getting a twenty five million dollar valuation, and building a company, you know, trying to you know act like we are public company holders. And that time we didn't have Sarbanes Oxley, so there was ECL. easier. I built I began the company with that stock. We acquired another company, which was 30 times bigger than us, but illiquid. So there is something for your readers here. Look at the value of liquidity. You mm-hmm. know, that was that was probably a smart mm-hmm. move. And during that process, you know, the everything read as oh, the sparrow acquires a whale. You know? And when you do that. Some that kind of an acquisition, of course, indigestion becomes the first thing, right? So so that in that process, and uh, we got through it, and then I was so confident that, being of course ignorant of what reality was, I was so confident that I began the acquisitions of other companies. And so in my journey from 1 million to 450 million in straight of these four years, and I was the fastest growing company, four-general entrepreneur of the year. You know, you can't imagine the accolades you get for making stupid mistakes sometimes, but it is what it is, you know. And so in building that, I acquired a company. And here is the sort of the disaster. So out of the five companies, the two were fantastic. I mean, they were just creme de la creme. You could say, of course, I was lucky. The other two sort of were average, you know, and and the last one, if I had to, you know, put it in very rough words, they burned my ass, man. But in, in reality, they really took everything that I could have avoided and put them into an execution path because the ego of mine overtook the rationality of business. And the ego was driven by the fact that, you know, it was not so much it is about me, but hey, you know, we have to do something better in foregoing technology. And so we are going to change some of these elements of the disruptive world that you see now. And I'm going to conclude with what could have been different, but but in changing, we were going to reduce the cost of materials by reprocessing them in real time on something like that. And, and I outbid, some other buyer in that because I thought it was so critical that I have and create this technology. Of course, it was a great deal for the seller. If the company that would normally worth $12 million, I paid $30 million for it, you know, and and obviously being responsible for, as, as a chairman, CEO, founder of the company, now I was responsible for making that happen. And I spent the next three years in trying to drive what should have been a mistake the first day, should have been a mistake the second day, to make proof that my thought process was correct. And I decimated the value of the shareholders in that particular investment. The reason I say that it's important for your readers is because we tend to forget that execution has to be risk mitigated and like you just said, right? But nothing about this was risk mitigated. It was purely driven maybe through ego, but underlining, I am going to change this. And then you pour good money after bad money, right? And three years go by, the customers are complaining. And of course, you're taking, you know, the So wrap on the other side of the business because you can deliver on this side of the business. So my suggestion, my thought process to your readers are absolutely look at this in a very, very practical way. Because in today's world, if we can define a risk mitigated execution, then do not let the ego get into the way. And I let it. I was wrong. I would never do it again. Mm. But it was a loss of nearly a hundred million dollars over the next three years of trying to change. Of course, fortunately, the other side of the business did extremely well. So, you know, we scathed through the process, we built, we sold the company for a billion dollars i could have sold it for a lot more and that's what i was trying to say looking back at it this package may look like a success but to me it taught me a tremendous value which is you know do not let you know some of these kinds of revolutionary disruptive changes that we all entrepreneurs want to make happen unless you have a risk mitigated path of execution
1: mm. All right. So tell us, how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this?
0: Well, the first lesson that I learned from this is if you, you get the right people together, because I was, I was driving it, the board, you know, because of my success in other, the board was letting me you know, take a look at these kinds of things. There were enough signals around the people in my team to saying that we shouldn't be doing this. So I, I should, so the first thing is, you know, take a look at what the overall team is saying, respect their decisions or respect their feedback. Second is don't get involved in a comparative landscape where you have no knowledge of what that outcome is going to be. I did that. I thought I could change the primary purpose of the company from A to B because of the market position I commanded, and that I would never do that again. And lastly, I think it's very important to realize that I did not cut my losses early enough and move on. I put good money after bad money, and that is some of the mistakes a lot of us as entrepreneurs do. So those are my three mistakes.
1: Got it. Okay. So let me summarize a few things that I took away from that. Well, the first thing I wrote down when you were talking was you know, looking back at our mistakes. And I think for the listeners out there, this is a really, really important message. And that is, I made the best decision at the time with the knowledge that I had and the tools that I had. And I think that that's what I wrote down when I listened to you talk about the way you look at the past. And I think that that's a great lesson for all of us to take it easy on ourselves. What what you talk when we talked before, we talked also about hindsight bias. You know, looking back now, oh, it's you know, so it's so clear, but it's not that clear when we're in the middle of it. So, take a break, take it easy on yourself. The second thing is something that most people never really even think about is the value of liquidity, making an investment investable for institutional clients, for for all the people that want to invest in it. And particularly here in Asia, a lot of businesses are family businesses. And when they want to list on the stock market, what they want to do is put the least amount of shares out in the market, which means there's no liquidity. And then you end up with a company that's really not a publicly, you know, it's not really a public company. So and liquidity has value. I have a story back in the old days in Thailand, there was a company that a guy that had two companies. He had a company that was a hotel business and a company that was a restaurant business. And he, he merged them together. And I was just a young guy and I didn't really understand the meaning of this. But he later built this company into a company called Minor Group and he built it into a very huge company in the market. And that's when I realized that the power of liquidity and the accumulation of assets, there is an important part role that, that plays. The other one is diversification, which, you know, of course, you were focusing on your worst investment ever, but you were also saying how there were other investments in your portfolio of companies. That did well, you know. Two that did very well, and two that were kind of average. And already, that's a pretty good batting average right there. Because normally, it's like one out of ten does really well, and the rest of them, you know, don't do that well. But the point is, is that with diversification, you're never going to get them all right. And therefore, the trick is is to get a couple of them right. And for the ones that you get wrong, of course, that brings you down to that last point, which is what's your exit? You know, what's your plan for cutting the loss? When I look at investing in stocks in Asia, one of the things is I look across a lot of different markets and it's very difficult to know the drivers of each market at times. And therefore a stop loss for investing can make a lot more sense than it does, let's say investing in the US as an example. And the last thing I take away from your story is the idea of pivot. The very common sexy word to use in the world of startup. And that is, well, we're pivoting. Well. You know, when you talk about pivoting, generally, when I think about pivoting, I'm thinking about two legs, and one is in the ground, you know, and, and the other one is moving around like kind of like a compass. And that's a pivot that may make sense, but a pivot of completely changing a business is just chasing a dream.
0: Rainbows, chasing rainbows.
1: Yeah. And it's chasing rainbows with money that has been allocated to you to pursue a particular vision. And then when you start to change that vision substantially, you know, you you start to have to, you know, it's just, it's a much bigger thing. So fine to pivot and try different things and all that, but to actually really change the business model, probably better just to stop the business.
0: Sure, yeah. And and by the way, pivot, when you and I started speaking earlier about this, I said, uh, one of the things that I shared with you is that when you are, the definition of failure is fundamentally a misalignment with your vision and the reality of the marketplace, right? Now, if you are watching it, then you can change that to the measurable side of making, how does the market misalign? That's a pivot to me. But if you go to radically change the market, that is what you are saying. That's not a pivot. That's a new investment business in the process. right? And so you are absolutely impeccably correct in stating that if the pivot is a change of not the, it has one pillar strong, or one pillar entrenched into something in order to pursue the alternative. But if you pursue a totally different alternative, then it is not it should not be called a pivot it's just a restart of something different
1: yeah and i was just looking up on the on the web about the definition of the word pivot and pivot can be used as a verb which is to turn on or as if on a pivot and it uses an example like he swung around pivoting on his heel but actually the noun form of the of the word is what you know is the origin and that is the central point pin or shaft on which a mechanism turns or oscillates. Yes. And that tells us that when we talk about pivot, and I think this is a great, great you know way of thinking about it, that pivot means moving only a small distance from
0: the original yes. point and still having a connection with the original point. To the point. basic right. That's what I was trying to say to you when I when I said if you look at failure as an analysis, because you embrace failures, you don't, you know, manage failures, and and the best is you leverage failures. But failure and success, as I told you, if the person who was successful, looking back, instead of making 10%, they could have made 25%. Was that a failure? Well, it was a damn failure, because you didn't get the damn 25%. But that is, again, in the same field. Similarly, if you look at failure, and you say, oh, I am not aligned with the marketplace. Let me twist, let me pivot. Yes, I agree with that thinking process. Mm. And I do not agree that, oh, I am in the grocery business and now I'm going to go into the, the business of farming business. That's that's not a pivot, you know. So so that's that's mm-hmm. sort of the thought process that you are actually confirming. Thank you for that.
1: You know? so, I, I really love that message. And I think for the listeners out there that are involved in your own businesses and involved in managing businesses, you're facing challenges during the COVID time and you're thinking, how do we change our business? This is a great discussion on the difference between you know, fundamentally changing a business and pivoting. And when you think about fundamentally changing a business, you know, one way of thinking that is that if, if we didn't have this business, would we go out and start this new business on this fundamental change? Or are we just chasing something because we're not successful in what we're doing. And that's, you know-
0: If you have a minute, I'm gonna share with you something sure. very, very specific to this. So we were creating a company in the this is about six months ago when we started this process funding called Beverly Hills Beauty Factor. And the purpose of Beverly Hills Beauty Factor was to eliminate the purpose of all hot stars selling the product. It was a combination of a shark tank, or it is a combination of a shark tank with X Factor, you know, and home shopping network, all combined on a technology platform. Right. And, and the purpose was that X Factor audiences would be present, but things changed. Right. Because suddenly the audience who would vote for the product with the judges had disappeared. That is, they couldn't do it. So then the challenge in the channel was how do we get back to the model or shall we move on and do something? And the pivot was that you can now have the people vote remotely rather than being in physical presence in the show. And it fit the model change in the pandemic environment. And so Beverly Hills Beauty Factor pivoted as the economy transformed, but into a very productive, scalable entity to create that kind of a expansion in the confirmation of what is today the reality of audience. Okay. So based
1: upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, I want you to think about a young person that's out there in the beginning of their career, they're having success, they're faced with the same situation that you were faced with back then. What one action would you recommend them to take to avoid suffering
0: the same fate? So the single most action that I believe is important is intellectual integrity with yourself, right? And in everything that I have done, when I have not been intellectually in integrity with myself, which is the purpose by which we proactively create the pivoting or whatever you want to call it, so my request to that young entrepreneur is, you know take a look at the challenge that you' are managing. Compare it with how that challenge has been solved in other industries, and bring that translatory knowledge from that industry to apply to your specific application. Because the Bollywood queens would have easily solved this problem, but they didn't. They didn't know how to, right? So what did we do? We went to a totally different industry where remote voting was already a possibility. And so my request to that entrepreneur is, take some time, look at where such solutions exist and bring them into your space to create a much more workable solution. Because if the model has worked in the other industry, it is much more likely to work in your industry without you reinventing the pattern.
1: All right. So now, next question is, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: My number one goal for the next 12 months is to publish my book, which I shared with you, on what not to do in entrepreneurship. And the reason being very simple, Andrew, the number of entrepreneurs are increasing in leaps and bounds. But the probability of success of the needle is stuck at one to 2%. And that is because entrepreneurs consider entrepreneurship as an art of success. But there is a methodology to this madness. And I created what is called as a periodic table of entrepreneurship. Much more to transform the chaos of entrepreneurship into a methodical formulation of science of it so that we can move the needle. And that is my focus, to help entrepreneurs to transform the art of entrepreneurship into the science of creating wealth Beautiful. and hopefully it is a lot less dependent on venture capital and private equity.
1: Great. And when do you plan on
0: having that live? That book. So my book will be, and targeting by the first quarter of 2021. Great. And and I was fortunate enough to get people like yourself, you know, who are so experienced to interview from movies making to, uh, you know, people who made banks and people who think good and bad bankrupts. And I, that's a part of the section of the book. And the other part of it, of course, is is my journey, you know. So to those entrepreneurs, Andrew, I have one request. That there must be four things in the business that we have to see if they some way fit in our model. And this is absolutely after interviewing, writing, investigating, this is my request to all that. First, look at any market that you are going to address if it is confused. Mm-hmm. If the market is not confused, then you have a significant challenge ahead of you. Got it. Right. Now, confused market means you know like an electric car coming at that when gasoline cars are doing extremely well or uber coming at you know somewhere in between when you uh, rental cars all all kinds of things you know so you can it's very easy to understand well, the second is in a confused market can you create a differentiation right. all right differentiation if you cannot create a differentiation in the confused market it is worthless for you you just add to the confusion you just, you just become a part of the damn confusion, you know, right? Okay, number so, three. So a n- number three portion of it is how big is the market that is confused and that you have a differentiation in? Because at the end, your growth and your return on wealth creation is a part of how big the market is. So you have to be- make sure that these three elements are there as you pull together a team to address, and that's the fourth one. Get a team that can address the above three benefits you have. Perfect.
1: All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Now, as we conclude, Sanjeev, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status. For turning your worst investment ever into your best (laughs) teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the
0: audience? No, just keep the entrepreneurial spirit fully engaged and entrepreneurs are made for passion of life. They are not made for an event. That's my message to them. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I for the opportunity.
1: Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our, well, fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.